You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. I've been sharing about my vision for this year, and my vision for this year is to prepare God's people for the return of the Lord whenever that comes. The early church was prepared every day with the eventual expectation that Jesus could return at any moment. They lived with uh, an expectancy for his coming. They lived with a fidelity and a devotion to his work. And so as we look into this upcoming year, and certainly this is a time of year and a season where we see a lot of people talking about a lot of different things and telling us about different things that they think will happen this year, probably the best thing that we can do is prepare ourselves to say every day we are living for God in such a way that if you were to come right now or if you were to come five years from now, that we are in a state of readiness and we look forward to his return. This theme this year is ready for his return. In week one, we talked about being ready to pray. That means at any time, any place, we are ready to pray and seek God's face. In week two, we talked about being ready to follow. It's one thing to call yourself a disciple. It's one thing to call yourself a Christian. It means to be a follower of Christ. Are we following what he says? Do we even know what he says? That's why we're getting into the word a little bit more this year, so that we know what he says. And this week, not all that surprising, is about ready to give. Now, before you get nervous, if it's your first time here and you're thinking, oh, great, I came on the Sunday that the pastor's talking about money. Right? If you're worried about that, don't worry, because I'm not talking about that today. Tithing is important, and it's something we should do, but it's not the subject of this message. Instead, we want to talk about the giving of ourselves, which is really what it's all about to follow Jesus, because Jesus called us to follow him, and there was a cost involved. In fact, we'll be looking at Matthew 24 and 25 as we go into this series of messages, but I want you to take a look with me at Matthew 25, verses 13 through 30. Now, this is a familiar passage of Scripture. It's about the parable of the talents, and if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. You can follow with me on the screen behind you, but I encourage you to bring your Bibles because we like to preach the Bible here. We're a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. So this is a parable of the talents. What's helpful to know as well is any time that you are trying to understand the meaning of Scripture, and if a particular passage of Scripture is confusing to you, look in the other areas of the Bible where it talks about that same thing. Now, we are in the benefit of having this story about the parable of the talents. Jesus also talked about the same thing in Luke 19. So if you're kind of like, I'm not sure what the meaning of this is. You can look at another story that Jesus talks about, and sometimes he gives a little bit more insight so you can get the proper interpretation of what that passage means. It's easy for us to look at something and read and go, oh, it means that, and we're dealing with it from a Western mindset. But to understand what it really means, we have to say, okay, what did Jesus say? What parts did one of the gospel writers miss that are fleshed out in another part? So take a look with me in Matthew 25, verses 13 through 30, and starting with verse 13. It says, Watch therefore, for you do not know neither the day or the hour which the Son of Man is coming. 
Now, anytime we see the word son of man, Jesus is speaking of himself, and he's speaking of himself as the Lord. Verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered goods to them, and to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to their own ability. I want to pause there and make note of something very important that he gave to each one according to their ability. What that means is their ability to handle it, their ability to steward it. I say that because there are times where we feel like we're the ones that only got one. Ever been there? You see so many other people and they're so talented in so many different ways, so gifted in so many different things, and we see that we only got one. Can I challenge you with the thought that there are times that sometimes God only gives us what we are able to handle? And we should not resent that, but we should rather look at it and say, okay, thank you that you entrusted me with what you gave me, okay? After that, that man immediately went on the journey, verse 16, and then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received and gained two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Now after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five more talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter now into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. And as the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter now into the joy of the Lord. Now, I want you to notice something here. The Lord rewards those who are faithful with little and then rewards them with more. So it's kind of like if you had an employee that worked for you. If they're really good with something, they tend to be given more responsibility, right? If they're terrible with something, what do you do? You tend to take it away from them and say, don't mess up any more things if you please. <laughs> kind of like when you play piano and you hit the wrong notes. So. Then he who received the one talent came and said, now take notice of this because the servant, what the servant says here is important for our understanding of the scriptures, Okay. And so he said uh, to them, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, here, I have what is yours. But the Lord said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you have have deposited my money with the bankers and at least coming I would have received back my own with interest. So now take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents for everyone who has will be given more and he with abundance but from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray and ask God for understanding concerning his word. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand and respond to what your Holy Spirit is saying through your word today. Grant me the ability to proclaim it clearly as I should, 
for the glory and honor of your Son. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. To understand uh, the meaning of the story, we must first take a look at like who the people are in the parable and what they represent. And so this is always important when you're trying to understand the scriptures. You can't say, okay, well, what, who are the people, the main players in the story? What do they do and what do they represent? So let's kind of go through it to give you a little background. So the man f- traveling to a far country represents the Lord. The Lord gives his servants responsibility and then he goes away, and then he returns. Now, that's a promise that Jesus made to his disciples as well. He uh, resurrected from the dead, appeared to his disciples for 40 days, and at the end of that 40 days, he says, go wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it says he ascended into heaven, was taken out of their sight, and the reminder was given by the angels that were there with him, saying, in the same manner, the Lord will return. So the man that went away and is coming back represents the Lord. Now, the servants in this passage, now there's different points of view depending on the commentary you read and the people that kind of explain it to you. So there's different meanings for the servants. Uh, So the servants who did what their master wanted are those who believed and followed Jesus and saw the kingdom expand and grow under their care. The servant that hid what was given to him were those who had the word but did not believe it or lead others in belief to it. Now, if you look at Luke 19, you'll get a better understanding of this because it says when Jesus came and when he's outside of Jerusalem, they wanted to make him king at that time and he gave them this parable in Luke 19 to explain to them that the kingdom was not now but was coming at a future date. And there's also an understanding that we must have that you know when Jesus came, He came to be received by his own, but his own rejected him. Now, anytime Jesus speaks to uh, the Jewish people, he is reminding them that they had the law and the prophets. They've been entrusted with the care of his word, and they were to come expecting and welcoming the one who would be called the Messiah. But how many know that didn't quite happen that way, right? They weren't weren't particularly thrilled. Some rejected him entirely, and some, like the Pharisees and religious leaders, actively worked, worked against him, rejecting him. They had received the word. They were to be looking for Jesus, and yet, in spite of that, they did nothing with what they had to prepare people to receive him. So that's another parallel when it comes to the servants. The servant who hid the town could be representative of this. Another interpretation of this is that these are Christians who the Lord commissions to share the gospel and use their gifts for God's glory, but there are some of those who would do that, and then there would be others who completely ignored what the Lord said and didn't do any of it. I know that you've never worked a job where you've completely ignored what your boss told you to do and completely slacked off. I know that never happened because this is a hardworking church with good people. But let's just say, hypothetically speaking, that there are people in the world, outside of this building, of course, who sometimes when their boss tells them to do something, they go, ah, sorry. Or if you know the boss is going on vacation or he's taking some time off, you go, I got plenty of time to do that. And then the boss decides to come back early. And he says, okay, that project that I gave you to do, how's that coming, and where is it? And you're like, ah, and the reality of the situation is you took it for granted, and you didn't do what he asked you to do. 
The return of the man represents the, the uh, day of judgment for each person according to their works. So the return of the uh, man represents the return of Christ whenever he returns, or the day of judgment. So there's two times in which our works will be judged. When you die and your spirit leaves your body and you stand before God, your works will be judged for what they are. Whether you serve God or you served yourself, in that moment you'll be judged. Or if you live long enough to see the return of Christ, when he comes back again to this earth, he will judge all mankind according to their works. So based on what we do, it will determine whether or not we actually served and believed in him. Or if we kind of said, that's nice that you said that, but it doesn't matter to me because that's a long way off. Or I'm not sure I even believe that. Believe it or not, there is a day that we're living in today where some don't even believe that the Lord will even come back. That's the day we're living in, the world that we live in. So there is a, 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 a lax, a laziness that's kind of happening in the world, especially by those who profess to follow him. And God will judge each man according to his works. He'll reward those who did his will, and he will take away and punish those who did not. Now, the rewards and punishments are what the Lord gives in response to what people do with the gifts that he gave them. To his faithful servants who did what he said, he tells them, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. Now that should be the one thing that every single Christian longs to hear. I don't care whether I get a crown in heaven. I don't care whether I get a really nice robe in heaven. I don't care where I live in heaven. I care that I made the trip and that he's pleased with what, I, he, what he sees in me and what I did. I am working for his approval. I'm not working for anybody else as much as I love you guys. I'm working to hear that wor- those words from his lips one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. It is our responsibility to carry that out. To the disobedient wicked servant, he removes what he's been given and gives it to another. And that servant is removed from his sight, never to be seen again. The standard of heaven is that obedience, excellence, and faithfulness are rewarded. Obedience, excellence, and faithfulness are the commendable qualities by which the Lord judges rewarding those who followed after him, whether you are faithful and whether you please the Lord. Now keep in mind that each of the servants were given something. Now what have we been given? Let's talk about three things today. Now we know that the Lord has given us so much more than that, right? If you were to list all the things that God gives us, right, you could say joy, peace, you could say the Holy Spirit, you could say, you know, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, you could say there's provision, his answers to prayer, you could say any number of those things, those are all true, okay? But I only have a little bit of time with you, so I'm not going to do that to you, all right? I'm going to talk about just three, and hopefully I won't take too much of your time. But the first thing that he has given us, number one, is life. He has given us life. One life to use however you choose. God has given us free will. We can use our life for ourselves or we can use it for his glory. However, when Jesus calls his disciples, he makes something very clear to them and he makes it clear to them that there will be a cost involved. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Simply put, you cannot be a follower of Jesus and a follower of yourself. There can only be one Lord over your life. It's either him or it's you. He requires us to deny ourselves. Now what that means is to die to ourself. That means dying to our sins, ambitions, our selfish desires, and anything that is contrary to his word and his way. When we choose that, we are saying, I'm going against the grain. I'm going against what the world chooses as important and, and something that are, is meant to be pursued. And I'm saying I'm dying to the things that are of my nature and my will, and I'm choosing to follow Jesus. If we don't, we're not really following Jesus, but we're following ourselves. Following your own plan may result in success, wealth, satisfaction, and even influence but they will not please God. Basically, to put it in investment terms, they are short-term gains, but long-term losses. There's an immediate blessing for doing my own thing and working hard and pursuing the things that everybody considers important. But in the long term, in eternity, it is a loss. Because when you gain the whole world, you can only enjoy it in this world. At the most, human beings can enjoy life for a limit of 80 to 90 years tops. And that's if you're living right and eating clean and doing the right thing. How many of us are doing that here today? Nobody? Great. So guess what? You just shortened that expectation on you. Congratulations. I speak to myself as I eat my buffalo wings, you know. So you have 80 or 90 years on this earth. And those last few, you may not even always enjoy it. And after you die, listen to me, people will fight over the things that you gained while you were alive. Your money, your possessions, things that you can't take with you. And so imagine this for a moment, that the, the life that you worked so hard to procure for your family now becomes the very thing that divides your family. And if you've been there, you know the story. If you've been there, you know what that's like where why should we be fighting over mom and dad's house, dad's things, dad's collection, whatever the case might be. Instead, use your time to invest in what's important. Teach your children and your descendants that instead of saying one day this will all be yours, direct them to heaven and say one day this will all be yours if you forsake all else and follow him. And that's a different perspective, isn't it, than the world we're in. How tragic it is when I see siblings fighting over mom and dad's estate while they're still alive and they haven't even died yet and causing division with each other. That's not the way we're supposed to live. Jesus reminds us that we can gain the whole world and lose our soul. To live for ourselves and our own desires forfeits eternity for the temporary. Instead, use your life for God's glory and not your own. The second gift is that he's given us salvation. Salvation is God's gift. It is invaluable and very costly. 
It is available to every man and comes by faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. The scriptures tell us that salvation is very valuable. Jesus relates it to the pearl of great price, something that people sold all that they had to purchase the field that the pearl was in. Matthew and uh, 2 Corinthians talks about it is our treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we are like an earthen vessel. We're but clay, but inside of us is something beautiful and radiant, something of great value, and that is eternity. That is salvation through Jesus Christ. The treasure is that we are new creations in Jesus Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And we cherish it because in Christ we are forgiven. In Christ we are set free. In Christ we are set apart for his glory. The treasure and the gift and the talent is the gospel message that he wants us to share with others. That we are to go and make disciples. The investment God wants to make in us is in people. The increase of his investment comes when we share the gospel with other people and they believe in Jesus as Savior. In this is his investment multiplied. In this is the benefit that it was given to us now made alive in someone else. And there is no greater joy in your life than to see your children or your neighbor or your friends come to a saving knowledge in Christ because you shared what was given to you with someone else. When we are obedient to do this, God is honored and Jesus is glorified. Souls are saved. And as we read in the parable of the lost coin and the lost son, we see that heaven is filled with joy over that. So our second gift that we're given, which is of great value to us, is salvation. The third is our talents and our abilities. These are natural gifts given to us by God. They were given to us to use for God's glory. Notice they were given to us in accordance with our ability to use them. They include skills that we've learned, talents that are inherent to us, things that we've been blessed with, whether it's art, music, athletic ability, administration, finance, the ability to lead others, and even ministry gifts. The list goes on and on. Now, you might be inclined to think that those are not given to you for his glory, but you would be mistaken. It is God who is the giver of all these things. You say, these are mine because they were given to me by my Father. These are mine because they're hereditary. These are mine because of whatever the reason you might give, but remember that life itself Both physical life and eternal life comes from Jesus. So everything he's bestowed upon you is meant to be used in some way for his glory. The problem is that sometimes in church, we only think that God wants one kind of gift to be used in the church. Well, you can preach, you can teach, you can pray. But what about the people that can paint? What about the people that can do plumbing? What about the people that can do carpentry? What about the people that have a a heart for the less fortunate? What about the people that want to go and reach the lost? All those things are valuable. How many know that God's church still needs responsible people who can balance the books or make sure that people show up on time or unlock the building or turn the heat on? How many know that God needs people like that? 
But we don't think of those things as gifts. We think of them as responsibilities. But if God has given you a proclivity to a particular kind of thing that you think of things that other people don't think of, then that's a gift because God's helping you to see something that someone else might be missing. Understand divine providence that you were given those things because God wants you to use them for his glory. Why? So they can be used to benefit others and give glory to God. The Lord gave to his servants and uh, gifts to steward them. God gives us gifts to steward them for him. Now let's talk about stewardship. Now this is not a capital fund drive and it's nothing like that. So we're not talking about building anything. We're not talking about financing anything. If anything that I've learned in the last 15 years of being here is that God will always take care of his church. And he will always take care of those who are faithful to do what he's asked them to do, whether it be to give or to serve. God will always take care of you. I promise you that. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But stewardship is the responsible management of something entrusted into another's care. Stewardship begins when we understand that everything we have comes from God. I'll say it again. Everything that we have comes from God. And you might say to yourself, well, no, no, I, I, I worked for that. No, no, I did that. Who gave you the ability to draw breath? Who made sure that when you stepped out of bed that you could stand on both of your feet? That gets harder and harder as you get older, you know? Sometimes you get that plantar fasciitis or that bum knee from that injury in high school football, and your body reminds you, guess what? You're still old, right? You get out of bed, and everything's kind of like this when you get out. What if that day came that you could no longer stand up on your own two feet? What if the day came that you couldn't breathe? What if the day came that the blood stopped flowing through your body? That day came you no longer have the ability to provide for yourself and take care of yourself. So life in and of itself, the day that we live, the day that we breathe, is a gift from God and is worth giving back to him. Everything we have is his. Everything we've received belongs to him. Our life, our faith, our wealth, our talents, our ability, our possessions, our family, and even our eternal destiny, and all because it belongs to him. Because it belongs to him, understand this, we are stewards of it, and he can come and ask for it at any time. Think about that. The lesson of the parable of the talents is the master will come back for it and ask, what did you do with it? Or ask you to return it to him. Why? Because it belongs to him in the first place. Stewardship understands that everything I have comes from God and everything belongs to him whenever he asks for it. Let's take a look at it this way, that just like the servants, they are executors of the Lord's estate. It doesn't belong to them. If you are the power of attorney for your parents' estate or another person's estate, it does not belong to you until that person passes, right? You are just stewarding and managing the money stewarding and managing their household. Until that time, it is not yours. You are the, merely the steward. And so God gives and the Lord gives to us the gifts. The master in this story here, he gave to his servants to carry it out. Now, when you look at this chapter, some might say, well, they look at this chapter in chapter 25 and say that this chapter is about works and that works determine your salvation or condemnation in the Lord. But I choose to look at the relationship instead. Uh, 
what do I mean by that? So people are like, well, if I don't do works, I won't, you know, it's like the Lord won't be pleased with me and then I'll be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not everything that's in there. What do you see? I see a difference in the way that they view the master. Take a look with me. Look at, take a look at the dispositions of the servants. The first two servants worked joyfully and diligently with what they were given so that when the master came, he rewarded them. They wanted to please the Lord and master. They wanted to make him happy, so much so that it wasn't even work for them, but rather they looked at it as a privilege to do it. They saw what they were doing as important, and they wanted to honor their Lord with it. Their chief goal was the master's approval to hear him say, well done. Now contrast that with the third servant. First two did what the master wanted. He said, hey, do these things for me. Steward what I've given you and make it grow so that when I return, I'll have something to look at. And they did that. The third servant, listen to what he says. And even if you were like an employee at some point in time and you worked for somebody, you wouldn't be stupid enough to say the things this man says. Okay? Like think about working for somebody and think about you're an employee and like your boss comes to you and says, hey, you didn't do that thing I asked you to do. And you respond like this. Verse 24 of chapter 25. Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I know you're a hard man. You reap where you haven't sown, and you gather where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid of you, so I went and hid your talent in the ground. And look, what I have here is yours. (laughs) Can you imagine? It's like, okay, here's something very valuable I want you to get. And, And you bring back the dirty bag that you, you know, buried it in the backyard for. And then you expect him to be happy with what you did. Verse 26, but the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You should have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would receive back my own interest. So take the talent from this man and give it to the one who has 10. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will be have abundance. But to him who does not have, everything he has will be taken from him and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth. So the nature of the response, he says, I view the master as hard, unfair, and dishonest. I'm sure these words he wanted to take back after he saw how mad his master was with them. This shows a lack of true relationship. It shows that this servant does not know his master at all. The other servants did it out of love and honor for the Lord. But this servant doesn't do anything. Instead, he cuts corners. Uh, It's an example between, uh, okay, so look at it this way. Here's an example from the workplace. It's the difference between an employee that loves their job and their boss and the one who hates their job, collects a paycheck, and then talks about his boss behind their back. So much so that when the boss leaves and the boss says, hey, you need you to do something, and they leave and they go, I hate that guy. I'm not doing what he says. I can't stand that guy but yet that person still collects a paycheck. There's that attitude sometimes in the workplace where people are like, well, yeah, I know you said that, but like, I don't need to do that. And we've all been in situations where we've been in workplaces where a bad employee is allowed to continue because, well, we don't have anybody else, but it's a bad attitude. The servant really didn't do what was asked of him. Really, what kind of servant even is that? Is he really a servant if he doesn't do what the Lord asks him to do? Who really is his master? 
Is he following the Lord's will or is he following his own? It shows that he doesn't care or even respect what the Lord wishes. If the servant was truly afraid of his master, like he said, hey, listen, man, I was afraid of you. And because I was afraid of how you would react, I did nothing with it. Not exactly a great plan when you think about it. Like, if you were really scared of, like, this man and what he would do to you, don't you think that would at least motivate you? Like, I'm afraid. You've ever had a boss you were afraid of? Like, I better get working, you know? Or, like, the boss is coming back the following week from vacation. Everybody in the office all starts, starts tightening up the bolts and starts doing things the way it's supposed to do. It's kind of like when you have guests over and you're expecting guests to come. And they come over kind of, they say, yeah, I'm heading over in a half hour. And you're like, oh, stink. The house is dirty. You know, I haven't emptied the dishwasher. I haven't vacuumed. The place is a mess. So what do you do? You try and, you know, create an environment where, like, okay, everything is where it's supposed to be or where it should be. And so when it comes down to this, it's like the servant was actually lying. He didn't really know his master. And he didn't even really do what his master did or wanted him to do. The master's response tells you everything you need to know about the servant. He's wicked, he's lazy, and such servants are cast out of the presence of the Lord where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Jesus uses this image several times in his parable. Uh, think about the wedding feast, for example. In the parable of the wedding feast, he says, uh, I've invited everybody, and people began to make excuses about why they couldn't come, right? And so the master of the feast says, well, I'll just invite people that I haven't invited before, and whoever is willing can come. And Jesus uses that parable to describe the difference between the, the Jewish people who had been invited from a long time ago to know who the Messiah is and to welcome him and be part of that wedding feast. But they refused him and made excuses why they couldn't accept him. And so the servants were sent out. Whoever will listen and accept the invitation, they will be invited to the banquet, and they were accepted in that. Those who were not part of the wedding party, those who were not dressed for the wedding, who did not belong there, said they are cast into outer darkness. Think about the other parables, too. When we think about Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep or the goats, uh, and passage where people would say to Jesus, say, like, Lord, Lord, didn't we do that? And he'll say, depart from me. And what does he say? He says, you didn't work hard enough? You didn't do enough things? No, he says, I didn't know you. And that's the, the reality of the matter. It's like this servant did not know his master well enough to love him and serve him. In fact, he didn't even consider it to be important. He didn't do anything in his life to change that. So there's a difference in the mindset and the attitude of these servants. As I wrap this thing up, I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Jesus uses this image of Servants that were faithful, good, that carried out his will. A servant who didn't do what his master asked him to do. It's all done on the basis of relationships. It's all done because either you want to do it or you don't want to do it. Either you consider that relationship important or you don't consider it important. He's given us a gift. He's given us this life. He's given us everything that we have before us. But he has given us the choice about what we want to do with it. Every single person in this place, listen, you have a choice about what you can do with your life. How many times have you heard people say, well, it's my life, I'll do with it what I please. 
But if you're a believer and follower of Jesus, you know that your life is not your own. You've been bought with a price. And you belong to him. And he wants you to use what he's given you for his glory. Two different servants, kinds of servants, two different kinds of destinies. But the one that was faithful, that did what the master said, there was reward, there was blessing, there was eternity, there was the master's happiness. But for the servant that disobeyed, the servant that didn't care what his master said, there was being cast out into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are only two places for mankind to spend eternity. Anything less than that cheapens what the cross did. Because if you could still get by just being a decent person, then Jesus died in vain or was at least mistaken about the destiny of mankind. If we were fine on our own, then Jesus really didn't need to die. But his death says to us that we needed his forgiveness, we needed redemption, we needed his atonement, and without him, we have no hope of salvation. We'll either spend one of two places in eternity. We'll either spend it in the glories of heaven We'll spend it away from the Lord forever in hell. That's why I focus on the heart and the, instead of the works. The good and faithful servant works to please the Lord because he loves the Lord, not to earn the Lord's love. That's the difference. When you love someone, it's easy to do things for them. When you're trying to do things to get somebody to love you, you will always meet with disappointment. Am I right? You ever been there? You're just trying to get your family to appreciate what you do. Or maybe you have a strange member of your family and you're trying to just kind of get them to love you and no matter what you do, they don't love you because there's no relationship there for them. They're just taking and taking and not giving anything in return. We've got to change the way that we look at our relationship with God. Our motivation should be we do it out of love. When you love someone... You would do anything for them, and it's a joy to do it because you want to see them happy. You want to see them pleased. But this all comes down to whether or not you receive Christ and you choose to love and follow him because he first loved us. But the one who rejects Christ as the Lord and King does not follow him, does not love him, does not obey him, and does not care about following him. Who is the true follower of Jesus? One who serves him out of love. What is a true Christian? A true Christian loves his Lord. Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you will always land on the side of doing the right thing. You always ask yourself, what would he want me to do? And that motivation moves you forward. A true Christian delights in what Jesus delights in and shuns what he does not delight in. A true Christian finds joy in serving the Lord and giving back to him. But one who is caught up in the cares of this world focuses on themselves, ignores the Lord's commands and treats them as though, yeah, he didn't really mean that. They were more just suggestions. 
one who is caught up in the things of this world, makes excuses for himself why he can't go to church, why he can't serve God, why he doesn't read the word, why he doesn't share his faith, why he he or she doesn't pray more. There's always, always an excuse why you can't do something. But how many know when we stand before God and he'll go through our entire life and he'll show us everything that we've ever did and anything that is not forgiven under the blood, we will see play before our very eyes. And there's no way that we can make excuses or lie to him. He sees it all. So before we have to do that and stand before the Lord, we should take a personal inventory of ourselves. What do I do for him? What do I do for him? I want you to think about this for a minute. Because this is a challenging thought even for me. What do I do for him? Well, I come to church. I worship. That's for you, believe it or not. So what do you do for him? Well, it's like, well, I occasionally drop off things that, like, you know, clothes at Goodwill or food at the food pantry. No, no, what are you, what are you doing for him? And if you struggle to think about it, then that's convicting because we should do things out of love for him so that when he comes back, he says, you know what, you've been so busy for me because you're looking forward to my return that it is your joy to do it. Stewardship is in recognizing that everything I have comes from him and that one day he'll ask me what I did with it. What did I do for him? Being a true follower of Jesus says, I'm ready. I'm ready to give of myself. I'm ready to give of my resources instead of going, you know, I come to church and like, no, you can have everything, Lord, but not this. Lord, everything I have is yours. Giving of your talents, meaning, Lord, whatever you've gifted me in, and I may not be as gifted as somebody else, but I'm going to use them for your glory. Something as simple as the people that plow this parking lot or shovel off this walkway. You know how much that blesses me? It's nothing to other people, but to me, it's like, wow, someone did that. I get excited about that. It's kind of silly, I know, but like, I appreciate that so much because someone's showing, like, I don't have much to give, but what I do, I'll give for God and I'll give for His glory. What a blessing that is. I'll give Him my service. Lord, I'll serve. Even if I don't know what to do, I'll look at the opportunities before me and I'll serve. Christian, the true follower of Jesus, says, even if you ask me to give up my life for you, and I pray that that never, we never get to a place where that has to happen. I really do. But what would happen if the day came where you were, it came down to either following Jesus or losing your life? I pray it never comes to that, but there may be a day in which it may mean giving up even your life for him. Would you be able to do it? question this morning I want to call you to love and stewardship if you love the Lord giving of yourself is not a burden but a blessing and ask yourself a question what can I give to him can we pray will you bow your heads with me hopefully as I've shared with you today that God's spoken to your heart in some way This message today is not meant to beat you up in any way, shape, or form. But instead, it's meant to challenge you so that we would be people that, you know, when the Lord returns, that we would not be idle, but that we would, out of love, do things for his kingdom and see his kingdom be 
to grow and see him be glorified. So if it's your desire today to do that, will you join me in prayer as we pray? Jesus, we love you. And first and foremost, we thank you for saving us. Thank you that you've given us the privilege of stewarding your kingdom. I pray today that you would help us to be wise servants, ones who delight in the things you delight in and work not out of fear but out of love, that we would use our time and talent that we have to serve you so that when you return or when we stand before you, we will not be ashamed, but rather we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let that be our goal our life-defining aim, that everything we do in word or deed would be done for your glory. We pray today that you, this morning, that you would move us and that we would be uh, focused on that this year we would see returns on your investment in us. Lord, we pray that this year, in 2024, we would see people saved, delivered, and healed. May this be a year of harvest, salvations, baptisms, and answered prayer. Lord, we pray today that you would have your way in us and that you would find us faithful. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree with that, say it with me. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.